Welcome everyone to episode number nine of Revenue on the Rocks. Today, we're going to chat all about alignment with marketing and sales and data. And this is something that I figured since the very beginning of this podcast, we'd have an episode on because let's be honest, I feel like data is such a friction point between sales and marketing. It's always such a hot button issue of, okay, was the source outbound, inbound? Is this data correct? Do we trust the marketing dashboard versus the sales dashboard? Just always a lot going on with data. So really excited to talk to it. And today we have an all-star guest who knows so much about attribution, data, RevOps. So today we're talking with Peter Kirk from Madkudu, who runs RevOps there and has also built functions at multiple product-led and sales-led companies like Lucid and BentoBox. So perfect guest to talk all through attribution, data. But before we dive into data, Peter, what you drinking? Today I'm drinking a spaghetti spelled uh, spelled like spaghetti with no I. Um, it's a, a lighter Aperol spritz made with a beer instead of sparkling wine. Peter, you're going to have to repeat the um, the joke you were telling us before the call about how you're feeling leading up to the podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling spaghetti ready out here. I love it. Ben, how about you? Have you mixed it up or same thing? Uh, old fashioned. The only thing I mixed up is uh, a little more heavy on the, on the whiskey today on accident. A little bit of a stronger pour. I have a little bit of a different drink today, too. So really excited about this because this was a request. So shout out David, who put out this request. It is a mezcal drink, which I'm not a huge mezcal drinker, but I'm liking it more than I thought. And it's like kind of like a mezcal margarita might be repurposing some of the ingredients I used last week for my mojito, maybe, but pretty similar. It tastes like a margarita. Cheers, Cheers. everyone. To get into the more educational content, Peter, wanted to first ask you, you know, what has your typical relationship with sales been in the past? Some of the positive parts and maybe some of the, the not so positives. Sure. Yeah. I think in general, I've had a uh, strategic partnership relationship with sales teams. That hasn't always started um, as a, a good partnership. I think I've, I've started out in a variety of different spots. I'll say when I joined the Lucid team, I was sitting in marketing. And because we had historically just interacted with one sales team, sort of an uphill battle to, or I guess less of a battle, more of like an uphill walk to partner with some different sales teams and really figure out how, how we could integrate with each other and, and help each other out. I think in general, that marketing sales relationship struggles when it comes to aligning on data, but I think there are a lot of ways to overcome that and, and really help those teams become solid partners. So I already have a little bit of an unplanned question, but Peter, as you're coming in, I'm thinking oftentimes you're kind of introducing RevOps more, really building out the function. Do you find these teams at first are excited about having RevOps and having more data or is there any hesitancy from sales like, oh, I don't want to be tracked that closely? It sort of depends. I, I think in general, there's a little bit of hesitation uh, because RevOps can look different at many different organizations. Maybe some some leaders have worked with a RevOps team that wasn't really set up well for success, so they may be a little bit hesitant. Others may have not worked with a RevOps team, so they may not be sure, like, will these guys just, like, get in the way? Do we actually really need ops? There's always, like, a period of time to build trust and deliver some early value to really help show that RevOps is here as, as a friend and a partner, not really here to to just like add more complexity and debt. I love that starting with like, give them a little bit first. I, I find it similar with marketing, right? Like give sales a little bit, get them excited. 
kind of build that relationship early on and show that you are a partner versus just coming in hot and feeling like you have to change everything. And Ben would be curious from your perspective on the sales side, what is sales typical relationship with sales data and how could it help or hurt the sales and marketing relationship? So yeah, so I'm going to answer it. Um, and then I do have a, a question for Peter that I think would be really helpful for the sales listeners on the call. To be totally transparent, I think oftentimes if you're an IC, especially at a fairly large company, or maybe you're developing RevOps for the first time at your company, you probably don't really know what the hell RevOps does. And uh, I think that can maybe like cause a little bit of confusion, maybe a little bit of stress. You know, is RevOps coming in to be concerned about my pipeline hygiene? Is RevOps coming in to tell me that maybe I shouldn't be comped on that deal for this reason or the other? I think oftentimes, as typical sales reps do, the initial thoughts are concern, negative. How is this going to affect me, me, me? Um, so I think transparently, that's probably the initial thought that a lot of the the sales reps have. I think a little bit of a miss, however, for teams is I think that a lot of times sales reps don't have a lot of visibility into RevOps, not because they don't care. I think you'd find oftentimes in organizations that reps would be really curious and have a large appetite to understand some of the numbers, analytics that, that RevOps is constantly working around. But frankly, for whatever reason, it seems like oftentimes that isn't necessarily exposed to reps and ICs. So Peter, would love to understand, you know, from your perspective, how should AEs or ICs think about the RevOps team and how sort of hands-on were, were you pretty comfortable, whether it was at Lucid or Bentobox or others, with getting more involved with sales reps and offering some of the exposure to what you guys are doing, what you're tracking? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's super important for, for any ops team, whether it's marketing, CS, sales, RevOps, whatever, to have a really clear charter that outlines what we do and why to really frame the work of the team and how they can best interact. I think setting those expectations really is really helpful. I think some things that that have been helpful as well is, is just to like spend a lot of time early on with sellers and with marketers just to understand like what their pain points are, what a day in the life looks like, and how we could potentially help. Not jumping into solutioning immediately like, oh, you're like not updating these fields, so we better like make you update them. Just like really being there to listen first and then act second. In general, RevOps exists to be the connective tissue or the glue or some other sticky term between teams. And that can look different at different organizations. You might have project management be part of a RevOps function. You might have a RevOps function that reports into finance and doesn't even report into sales, marketing, or CS. You might have a, a RevOps team that just like reports on a COO. I think it's going to be different at, at every org, but like being very clear about what you think RevOps should do and sharing that out with every team has been really impactful for me. Curious, Peter, you know, Ben mentioned the fear of RevOps is going to come in and sort of critique what we do, maybe tell me to clean up my pipeline hygiene a little more. But from RevOps perspective, curious, what are some of those friction points between sales and marketing that exist because there isn't that middle player in between helping smooth it over or smooth out the data? One thing I've seen a lot is different goals that result in very different incentives. I think if you, if you talk to someone, like any person in marketing, any person in sales will be like, we ultimately help drive revenue. But they might start disagreeing from there on how they actually drive revenue. The easiest way to goal a marketing team is on MQLs. How many leads are you sending to sales? And then sales is pretty much always quota attainment oriented. How much revenue you're bringing in? Or if you're a setter, how many meetings are you booking? 
something like that. Ideally, those things would be totally aligned and like MQLs that the marketing team is is sending over to sales are going to close at predictable rates and and everyone's happy. But that that's generally not the case. So you can end up with a lot of friction where maybe setters are are like reaching out to all of your new users and setting meetings that way, even though it like ultimately erodes customer health over time. You you can just end up with friction points like that. Goals are different and incentives uh, cascade down from there. I think that's something too that I've seen that is what you just mentioned, Peter, which is sales reps are so reliant on marketing. Marketing is putting food on the table for sales oftentimes if it's predominantly an inbound role, even if it's more of an outbound role, right? Oftentimes BDRs are rolling up to, to marketers. And so something I was thinking about that would be helpful for sales reps to see is some data around the types of inbound leads that Ben is receiving, the team is receiving, where these leads are coming from, an open line of communication between sales, marketing, and rep ops to get feedback from the sellers around, hey, these leads are super hot because of XYZ. And these ones we really struggle with because of ABC. And for sales, it's this constant battle where inbound leads are, they're so valuable, but they also frustrate sellers a lot because at every single organization, you might get an AE or two that just happened to get that lead that came in on the router. You know, Sam might get the super, super hot inbound lead that was a crazy killer deal and like close rev and help Sam get to his target. And then Sally gets like the pretty shitty lead that came in from a channel that everybody knows doesn't provide a whole lot. So I think, you know, not all inbound leads are created equal. And there's always this sense from sales reps around like we want an equal playing field. And without the exposure to data to actually track that, we make a lot of assumptions around how it is not. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good call out. I think when it comes to like which lead was routed to who, it can get sticky pretty fast, especially if you allow all reps to like have access to each other's books, things can start to seem pretty unfair. But I, I think it's really important to create a data set and like reiterate why we have the data that we do have, what the definitions are, like reinforce the why over time so that sellers and marketers can like come to their own conclusions. And those conclusions might be pretty similar too. Like as an example, say we're we're trying to like drive some alignment between a sales and marketing team. We create a dashboard that shows like all the leads that were they're routed to SDR team A, and then like time to attempt on those leads, what their current status is, et cetera. That's a great starting point. But then allowing sellers and marketers to cut that data with a variety of other lenses. So like providing basic stuff like employee count, industry, capital raised, things like that. Hiring data, are they like hiring recently? Is there activity happening at the account that means that they're more likely to buy? I'm just showing more so that everyone can go do their own homework and then come back to the table more informed about what's going on and contribute to the conversation about like what we should do as one go-to-market team. Peter, I have a question on that dashboard because I think that is so valuable when you can break it out by ICP data or even attribution data, right? Like understanding which leads maybe move the fastest or perform the best. Do you think there should be free reign for people to have access to that dashboard and play with it how they wish? Or is that the goal of RevOps to really communicate and nicely package that data? Because I do see a little bit of fear for like, let's just give every single SDR access to this dashboard to make their own conclusions and then start doing their own research off of. 
Yeah, I, I think that's where a, a RevOps person or team can add a lot of value. Um, working with folks in sales and marketing to figure out like what decisions do we need to make and what data do we have available? Maybe there are some data gaps to fill as well. And then creating a data set that allows people to go a couple layers deeper on their own with some enablement too. Like I never think it makes sense to just hire a bunch of sales reps and then teach them nothing about how to use Salesforce. So I, I think there's a, a line to walk and a balance to find between like how much data do you put in front of people so they can find their own insights and how do you put up guardrails so they're not overwhelmed by the amount of data that they have. Should you have a sales rep get access to like Amplitude or Mixpanel? And probably not because it's just not a good use of their time. I think that answers the question, Peter, I was going to ask and follow up, which is like, what's the fear of exposing any and all data to sales reps? Because to be totally honest, Natalie, going back to your question, every sales rep wants, they want it all. Again, it gets back to that level playing field of like, I know where these leads are coming from. I know what the data says. I know what the hottest leads are and what the, the ones that aren't very hot. If I'm outbounding now, I know where to spend all of my time. The kicker there, I guess, is, you know, every AE who's listening to this will fully understand. Every AE has a preconception, right? You get that inbound lead that comes in and you're immediately like, let's go. This is going to be killer because it came from our hottest initiative. Or this is a lead that came from a BDR who just got hired last week who knows nothing about our product. This is probably going to be a terrible lead. Like you go into these leads with your preconceived notions and ideas. And so I guess like too much exposure to the data would perhaps taint how we go into all of these calls because we kind of go into those calls knowing like, well, the data tells me this is going to be a really bad lead or it tells me it's going to be a killer lead. So maybe I answered my own question, but is the, the fear, Peter, that reps will just get too granular with the data and maybe not be a great use of time? Or is there anything else there? It's really just use of time. I think we should give like all sellers a lot of access to data. But I think that there are a lot of things that we can do to package it up in a way that's easier to use. So instead of saying like, here's an amplitude login, have at it, we can instead push data into like the leads that they're working in Salesforce that say like this person did like these three high value actions in the past couple of days. Now, you know, instead of here's a timestamp of like every single thing that they did, like they checked their email preferences, they looked at this email, then clicked out of it then looked back at it again, and they logged into the tool. We should just package up insights in a way that's really useful and provides that layer of trust um, that we need to have, like all sellers have in the data. Totally agree with, you know, packaging where they are. But I've also been on the other side where sometimes we're just frustrated, like, why won't sales just look at my report I built? Ben, can you speak to why for the seller? Why don't they just, you know, open up one more tab, log into one more system and check out this beautiful dashboard I built? Yeah, you're going to get a handful of AEs or sellers, right? They're always going to be super excited about that sort of data, or they're going to use a lot of the assets that are made available to them from the team, whether it's ops, marketing. But I would say the majority of sellers probably won't dive into that, Natalie. And honestly, we talk about this so much. And as we as we talk through this podcast and realizing more and more how much ego is involved with sellers, I think sellers feel like they know best, which in their defense, in a lot of ways, they do. They're the ones who are talking to the prospects all day long. They're the ones who have had 150 meetings in the last couple of weeks. They know what a good lead is. They know what a bad lead is. 
they know when it comes from this, it's going to be great. And when it comes from that, it's not going to be awesome. So I think sometimes sellers might say, hey, Natalie, thanks so much for putting that report together. But I'm just kind of rolling my eyes when I see that come through in Slack, because it's like, I can probably tell you what that report's going to say without even looking at it. You're telling me that that specific marketing initiative didn't work well? Like, yeah, I know that I had four calls with those leads and they went nowhere. And you're telling me that these leads we get from LinkedIn are fire? Like, yeah, I know they are. The last two deals I closed came from LinkedIn. Like, I don't necessarily need that because I feel like subjectively I already kind of know what maybe objectively the report is trying to tell me. I don't know if that answers your question or if that just paints sellers in a really, really bad light. Maybe it's just a me thing. But I do think there is that level of like, I don't need you data ops or, or marketing. Like, I already know this because I'm on the front lines every day. No, I think that's important insight. And I guess the question, kind of passing back to you, Peter, is how do you solve for that? Or do you just accept that that's a reality and some sellers aren't going to be as adaptive to data? It's a reality for sure. I think you really need to, to figure out what insights are going to be important. If a sales rep is like, I get nothing from this dashboard that you send me. Like, like what, what are you missing right now? That's going to help you identify bigger and better deals and close deals faster. Um, I've seen oftentimes where like maybe someone in marketing is like super excited about this campaign. They want to share with the world what's going on with it. They're really in the weeds on ad spend and like how different creative iterations are working and so they make a dashboard and share that with everyone but as a sales rep you might just like not really care about that data at all and really like pay no attention to it even if there are like maybe a few useful nuggets so i think it's important to have a really strong feedback loop and really stay close to what's going on with folks on other teams it's hard to do it's like building an ongoing relationship takes a lot of work so like having a weekly cadence where maybe you meet one-on-one -on -one with a seller or maybe you meet individually with a few folks on a sales team to understand what are they missing and what do they need to do their jobs better and if i could just piggyback off that really quick peter as you're as you're sort of describing that something that i'm thinking about that was a huge learning here at nevada is while i am not the most data-driven person in the world something i would encourage sellers to do is take a look at the data that your teams are sending you because I was actually wrong and pretty shocked at how wrong I was. And Natalie's smiling because Natalie is sort of like our ops individual. So I'll like slack Natalie and I'll say, hey, you know, it'd be really helpful whether it's, hey, we're putting together quotas or, hey, we're reflecting on the quarter. Can you tell me what our close rates are for prospects that go through a trial versus someone who doesn't or who goes through a demo build or if they come from this or for that? And there's like a couple of statistics I remember. Number one, closing rates where you know, I was like, hey, Natalie, I, you know, I think we're probably winning at like a 52 or like 56% rate or whatever. Like what's and like immediately just get like a slack back with the dashboard that's like, oh, we're actually only like winning at like a 46% clip. Interesting. That's actually significantly lower than I thought it was. Or for a while, we were running a ton of trials at Novatic and I thought they were tremendously successful and I was really excited about them. But then our data showed that Actually, it wasn't converting all that well. A lot of prospects going through trials weren't closing at the same clip as maybe some other options. So all of that is to say, sellers, yes, you, you probably do know best. You're on the front line. You're, you're the one chatting with these leads and these prospects. But you should take the time to double back and, and check out some of this data because it will inform the way you sell. The next time you get on a call after I watched that report, guess what? I stopped pitching trials for like a week. I was like, I just saw the data. We're not, I'm not winning those deals as high of a clip as I am other ways. So it does inform and can help change the way you sell. Yeah, it makes sense. There's like an element of persistence too sometimes. Like if you know you have the, the right insight, but no one's listening to you, 
can always like figure out other ways like it sounds like you did natalie to like show hey this is this is the gap that i'm seeing this is why you should care if no one cares in that moment try again later i think zooming out helps right like i think not constantly sending dashboards but looking at a quarterly level that's when you get those really big insights as far as like oh no we're not having the same win rate with this versus this or oh our our sales cycle went down like why is that Okay, so I did want to take us a little bit of a different direction. One thing I was personally really excited to talk about is a little more just like attribution in general as far as how RevOps can help smooth over some of the, this was an inbound opportunity, so inbound should be comped, or this is an outbound opportunity, so we need to make sure the BDR gets compensated for it because I do think that's how so much of this tension between sales and marketing happens is because we're ultimately kind of fighting for attribution for the same leads. Yeah, that's uh, an ongoing discussion, I think, at every company. I think it really needs to start with clear definitions. Inbound and outbound are ultimately just like very made-up terms, um, and they mean different things to different people at different organizations. So I think go through an exercise of defining what does inbound mean, what does outbound mean, what does marketing sourced mean, what does sales sourced mean, And how can we see those different categories in our data? As an example for us, inbound is like five different lead sources that are getting passed between leads, contacts, and opportunities via contacts. There are like multiple loss points that we need to account for, or maybe like the opportunity lead source changes when the leads lead source was different to start out with. So I I think starting with definitions, then going into how we see those definitions in our data, and then going into like how the systems work to actually show us that data and like what processes need to take place too. So like for us, if an inbound lead was worked, didn't go anywhere, and then 90 days later, we re-engage with them and open an opportunity we need to change the lead source to not be inbound related because they engaged through a different channel. In the example I'm sharing, it was outbound related. I love that refreshing or like re-looking at the attribution source because I do think part of the issue comes from maybe a lead came, clicked on one Google ad. So marketing's like, that's mine. And then I was like, I've been emailing that lead for months, working on them, talking to them. How come I don't get credit? So I do think being understanding, like I said, having those hard definitions of when does this pass over or when can we reconsider this is so helpful. Have you ever seen companies create a more scored metric and say, okay, if this is 60% outbound, you know, we'll still give outbound comp and we'll still give marketing some credit versus make it so black and white? Yeah, I've seen that before. Um, and I think it can be a dangerous game to use an attribution model to determine compensation. Because if you have one lead that's considered 60% outbound, 40% inbound, and they're like ready to buy, and they are a buyer, and they close really fast, the amount of effort that went into that is so much less than like a lead that has the same inbound and outbound percentages, but like they're not the right person to purchase, and they just drag the sales team through a lot of procurement hoops. It's elegant to use an attribution model to figure that out, but I think it's worth staying away from because ultimately, in my opinion, attribution should be used to make larger business decisions about where we should invest 
not who should get compensated for what. Last question, because I feel like we've just been pestering with questions as I'm trying to solve my own my own attribution issues. I guess if you're not using attribution as the base for compensation, what are you using generally as the base? Goes back to definitions, just like clear rules on who's compensated for what. I think that closers need to be compensated based on quota attainment. There can be some differences, like say we we just released a product and we need to sell more of it, then maybe we have a kicker for that specific product just to like help reps still at their quota and still be compensated fairly. And then I think when it comes to setter compensation, they need to be compensated on whatever their main goal is. I generally think of meetings booked or meetings held, and we need to compensate them in like two different categories that can be attribution related, inbound and outbound. Ideally, those would have the exact same level of compensation, and we would have one person focus on inbound and one on outbound or separate teams focus on them. So you might have like an inbound SDR that needs to book like 30 meetings a month and an outbound STR that needs to book five. But the way that they're receiving leads um, is entirely different. And then we don't need to think about like, is this lead 60% inbound and 40% outbound? Yeah, I love the point and also compensating them the same because I think where I've seen issue in the past is outbound is maybe compensated more than inbound or vice versa. So then again, everyone's kind of fighting for their own definition of it. Yeah, one thing I say regularly here is Let's not be clever. If we can make things as simple as possible, we'll just make them more repeatable and a lot more easy to understand. If we start adding a lot of complexity, especially when we have a small team, we're, we're going to set ourselves up to have to explain too many things and ultimately create more work for ourselves. Yeah, I've always gotten in trouble when I try to create them up with like clever cop plans. Yeah, I mean, they're fun to do. And then when you actually have to do the work, it stops being fun for anyone. So much work behind figuring out that lead and where it came from. This was awesome. I feel like that answered a lot of my questions. As always, use this time to just selfishly answer all the questions that I have about data and attribution. Before we wrap it up, any final tips from everyone on how to use data to make sales and marketing relationship better? Sellers. I love you. I always defend you on this podcast. You probably know more about this stuff subjectively from the calls you're on, but double check it with the data. I was floored with some of the assumptions I had that the data did not necessarily back up. And it honestly changed and shaped the way that I sold it and made me a better seller. So the data can fill some gaps that you assume you know that you really don't. Thank your RevOps teams, your marketing teams for putting together. Don't look at them every day. Don't look at it every week, but every month or so, every quarter or so, it's definitely worth reflecting to double check what you think your gut is telling you versus what's reality. For me, I think the advice I'd give is is just like following your curiosity, like ask questions and try and figure out the answers on your own using whatever data you have provided to you. Probably learn something and, and you'll probably uh, figure out something that would really impact your role or the business that you're on. There's so much to uncover, um, and it's pretty much all right there in front of us. Peter, I'm going to kind of steal something you said earlier. I think one thing I underestimated was how powerful it could be to help sales build out a dashboard for things they want to see. I think so often as RevOps and even as marketing, I just kind of built out dashboards. I'm like, this is what I think would be cool. And it might be helpful, it might not. 
But instead, when I actually went to sales, say, what do you want to see? What are gaps that you're missing? And built them a dashboard. Suddenly, they then trusted me. They used the dashboard. And when they had further questions, they asked and gave feedback versus just kind of being like, eh, nice dashboard, Natalie. Yeah, I think coming from the marketing side, it can be scary to like get in front of sales folks and and try and share some insights. I think there's sometimes the urge to like show up with all of the insights, all of the data and just hand it off in perfect form. But I think it's really powerful when it comes to sales and marketing alignment and just leadership in general to be a little bit vulnerable and start with some questions or if you need to show up with a dashboard, just create like an MVP or a mock-up and say like, this is what I think is probably helpful to you, but like, I don't know. What do you think would be helpful? And we can we can layer it in. Also say like, had a lot of calls with reps where they need some specific piece of information, but some Salesforce permission set was like updated by some admin along the way, and they just don't have access to a field that they need. There's a lot of value that you can bring by just making quick edits or like using relationships that you have already as a marketer to like give your friends on sales access to the right data. I've definitely been there where you're like, why isn't this report working? And you realize it is some sort of Salesforce admin thing. But I think it's a perfect way to round it out. Basically, you know, come to sales, work collaboratively and help them out. Well, this was awesome. Super helpful. Hopefully after this, there'll be less fighting between attribution and compensation. And thanks for listening, everyone. As always, we'll be back in two weeks.